Bibles and turn somewhere. It's all good. It doesn't really matter. You're going to find Jesus on every page. Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. Well, I'm a, we got the best time tonight. I, we're going to talk about my favorite subject, and that's the man, Jesus. All right. <clears throat> tonight, the, the disciples' joy. We're going to talk about the disciples' joy. All right. There are two words that are used in the Bible in the New Testament for people that deal with Jesus. One is the word believer, the other is disciple. You really need to banish the word Christian from your vocabulary. Uh, Christian was actually a slam name given to those who followed Jesus long after he'd gone back to heaven. Matter of fact, it was first in Corinth. They criticized people that followed Christ. It was a slang term. They called them Christians or Christians. Sort of like we'd call them Jones followers or Moonies or something like that. It was a criticism. And through the years, we picked up the term Christian. Of course, Christian in America means nothing anymore because 82% of Americans claim to be Christian. Well, they've all moved away from North Carolina if they are, is all I got to say. <laughs> so you really need to banish the word Christian. The two words in the Bible are believer, disciple. And Jesus talked about his believers, those who would believe in him, and he used the word disciple. And those are the two words that are used in the New Testament. You're a believer or you're a disciple. We want to talk about the difference between those two tonight. We're going to have so, I just love this. This is a, I need to quit saying I love it. Just go ahead and do it. All right. What is the difference between a believer and a disciple? Big difference. All right. To be a believer, to believe in Jesus costs you nothing. All right. Acts chapter 16. Let me just quote it to you. Acts chapter 16. The jailer said to my beloved brother, Paul said, what must I do to be saved? Isn't that the big question? What do I have to do to have eternal life? He said, what must I do to be saved in verse 30? In verse 31, Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and your family. What do you have to do to be saved? You have to put your faith in Jesus. You have to believe in Jesus. You have to be a believer. And now listen, that costs you nothing. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight says this, for by grace, the kindness of God, are you saved through faith and it's not of yourself, not of works. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should vote. You can be saved, it doesn't cost you a thing. It costs him something. God so loved the world, he gave his son. But to be a believer in Jesus and go to heaven doesn't cost you anything. You just put your faith in Jesus. On the other hand, to be a disciple is gonna cost you everything. There's a big difference between a believer and a disciple. Jesus, in his, in his club, his family, he has many believers and a few disciples. And don't ever confuse those two terms, believer and disciple. There's a big difference between the two. Uh, believer and disciple. I want you to look with me here. We're in Luke chapter 14. Let's look at one verse, Luke chapter 14, verse uh, 33. Watch what Jesus said. So likewise, whoever you does not forsake, all he has cannot be my disciple. What do you have to do to be a disciple of Jesus? What does it say? You have to forsake everything you have. All right, to, you, don't, you don't have to forsake anything to be a believer. You just put your faith in Jesus. You, you hear the word of truth that Jesus died for your sins. You believe in him, you trust him, you put faith in him. And he who believes in me will never die, have eternal life. But to be a disciple's difference gonna cost you everything you got. And whoever does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Um, all right, now which one are we called to make in these things we call churches? Are we called to make believers, disciples, or pew potatoes? Which one are we called to make here? We're, we're never called to make believers. We're told to preach the gospel, but uh, we won't take time to look. Has anybody ever heard of the Great Commission? 
It's the last thing Jesus said. I want my people to do this till I get back. I'll just quote it to you. It's in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. It says this, I have all authority in all the universe. Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to observe, live everything I've taught. So we're supposed to make what? Believers or disciples? Got to make disciples is what the call is. We're called to make, now, now listen, let's define the word disciple. I, I uh, disagree with a lot of folks when they talk about discipleship in the American church. The word disciple, many people have interpreted it a learner, somebody who learns something. I don't think that's a disciple according to scripture. A disciple uh, is the Greek word methetis is the word disciple. A disciple is somebody who studies to imitate they study to imitate. Let me show you a picture of a disciple. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. There's no greater picture of a disciple than 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, if you're not a believer yet, I want you to become a believer tonight. And if you're a believer, but you're not a disciple yet, boy, have I got good news for you. You need to choose to become a disciple of Jesus tonight. All right, Matthew chapter 11. This is the greatest picture of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Verse one, Matthew 11, verse one. This is, this is Paul again writing to the people. He said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Now you can learn about somebody, but not imitate them. You understand that? What he say? I want you to follow my life because I live to do what? Imitate Jesus. A disciple is somebody who studies somebody so that he can imitate them. Now, now again, let me, without being too unkind, I'm not a fan of discipleship programs because they put so much emphasis on learning and knowledge. You know, we have a program and we're going to go through these books. I, I can't, I have no idea why anybody would write a book on discipleship. You're never going to top the one that's written. This is the book on discipleship. And so much of the discipleship programs that I've seen through the years are just people going to these endless Bible studies and they study the Bible and they study this stuff and they learn that's not a disciple of Jesus. Uh, matter of fact, Jesus spoke about this in John 5. He said, you search the scriptures day and night because you think that's what I want. But the scriptures point to me and you're not willing to come to me and experience the life of God. It's not about learning. It's about touching somebody and experiencing somebody. Uh, all righty. Uh, okay, there's my ugly part I'm done with. All right, let me tell you what a disciple is. A disciple is somebody who sees a life and they are so impressed with that life. And it's a life so beautiful that they're willing to stop living their life and live that life. That's a disciple. Uh, now we have disciples of Gandhi. Uh, we have disciples of the Dalai Lama. My next door neighbor was a disciple of the Dalai Lama before he passed away. We have disciples of Jesus. We have disciples of Lady Gaga, for crying out loud. <laughs> Note, pick you somebody better than that to disciple under. But a disciple is somebody that is so gripped with a life that they just want to lose, they want to get rid of their lives and that's the life they want. And you have to give up this life to get that life. That's a disciple. That's a disciple of Jesus. And what were the 12 guys that walked with him called? the 12 disciples. Of course, they were singled out as apostles, but he had many disciples and uh, willing to give up now, now to be somebody else. Now, all right, um, you say, well, Brother Brown, it's the right thing to do. There you go with that religious stuff again. You don't do it because it's the right thing to do. What's the only reason anybody ought to want to give up their life? To get this one. You've got to trade up. Look with me. Matthew 13 is the picture of a disciple. 
There's only one reason you should follow Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about being saved. You need to get saved so you can spend eternity with him. But you need to follow Jesus for a different reason. Religion says you should do it as a duty because it's the right thing to do. That's not what Jesus taught. Let me tell you why you want to follow Jesus. Why don't, don't, don't let me tell you. Let's read it. These are the two many, many tiny little parables, one verse parables that talk about what it means to be a disciple and the pricing. And I, I love, these are my two favorite parables in the Bible. Well, I don't know. Maybe that, well, I don't know. I don't know why I'm telling you that now. All right. Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven. Now, this is not getting into heaven. You trust Jesus, you can get into heaven. Did the thief on the cross go to heaven? Beside Jesus, is he still there today? All he did was what? Put his faith in Jesus. Now, this is not talking about getting into heaven. This is talking about being a disciple of Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field that a man found and hid and for what? Why does he do something? Joy over it. He goes and sells what? Everything he's got to get what he found. That's discipleship. It's when you have found something that's so valuable to you, it's hidden to other people. And you didn't even see it for a long time, but you find something and it's so valuable to you that you say, I'll give up everything. I'll give up my own personality to get this. What's the only reason you should follow Jesus as a disciple? What's in that verse? What does it say? Who for joy, not duty, not it's the right thing to do, but I have found something that's so valuable to me that I'll give up my own life to get this. That's discipleship. He tells the same thing again in the next little mini parable. Verse 45, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful, aren't we all? Isn't everybody looking for something? That's the reason you're in church tonight. You're looking for something. Everybody's looking for a beautiful life, a beautiful relationship, beautiful children. Everybody's looking for something. And here's a guy who he's spending his, he's looking, you know, this is not a real pearl dealer and he's looking for something beautiful. And he uses pearls as an example. He's looking for beautiful pearls. And watch this, who he found one pearl that was so valuable to him. He went and sold what? He gave up everything he had to get what he'd found. That's discipleship. It's when you're looking for something in life, you know, you, we, I, we just have this itch. Everybody's got this itch. It's a God itch. And we don't know it. We're looking for love in all the wrong places. And we're, I saw the other day where these people keep dying trying to climb Mount Everest. For crying out loud, it's just a nasty trail full of dead bodies and empty oxygen bottles. Why would you want to go up there? Why do people do it? You know what they do? They get to the top, then what do they do? Come right back down. Why, why do people do what they do? Because God put something in here where people are looking for something. But we're like the old country song, Oh, the old hymn. We're looking for love in all the wrong places. Well, listen, the kingdom of heaven is like a man that's looking for something and he finds it. And he says, I'll give up everything I've got to get that. Not because he's supposed to, not because God's going to get him if he don't, but because it's so beautiful to him and there's such joy in it, he'll give it up. He's found something more valuable to him than his own life. And he's willing to do that. Well, that's discipleship. That's the kingdom of heaven. All right. Now there's a deal. Here's the deal. All right, here's the deal. Turn a few pages to the right to Mark chapter eight. Jesus is going to make a deal with you. Y'all remember, let's make a deal. You remember, let's make a deal with Mighty Hall. Do you trade up or down? Oh, y'all do this all the time. You trade up or down? You trade up. Nobody wants to trade down. I mean, you don't trade a Ferrari for a ball cap. Would you? But you'd trade a ball cap for a Ferrari because that Ferrari is more valuable. 
All right, the kingdom discipleship's about trading up with Jesus. And here's the great picture. Perhaps you've heard these words. Uh, verse 34. Now, this is not about salvation. This is about becoming a disciple of Jesus. He called the people to himself with his what? Disciples. Said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. So what did Jesus say? You got to give something up to come with me. And now what do you have to give up to come with him? Everything. Self. But now here's, here's the, they call it a serendipity. Here's the deal. In the next verse, whoever desires to save his life, what's going to happen? You're going to lose it. But whoever will lose his life for my sake and the gospels, he'll find it. What did Jesus say? You, you try to put your own life together and you live like you want to live, even if you're a good person or, or a benevolent person and, and, it, and you're always going to come short. But the day you say to Jesus, I'll give up everything I've got. I'll give up my own personality to become you. Guess what? You, if you'll do that, guess what he says you'll find right there? You'll find out this is what I was looking for the whole time. You're going to find the life you're looking for by trading your life with the life of Jesus. One of the greatest old Christian books ever written is called The Exchanged Life. One of our great missionaries wrote it. And, and listen, Christianity is not trying to be good. It's exchanging the life you have for the life of Christ or being a disciple, choosing to be a disciple of Jesus. And uh, does anybody, how many of you believe you were created with a purpose? We, you've got to believe that if you believe the Bible. We, we were, before time began, he knew us. And he created us with a purpose. He has, a, you ever heard this? God loves you and has a plan for your life. You ever heard that? Well, let me tell you where people mess up. They say, God, I know he has a plan for my life. Does he want me to be a dentist or a pharmacist? No, no, no. no. That, that's the tiniest part of it. Your vocation is just a tiny part. What's the biggest part of his plan for your life? Turn to Romans chapter eight. This is your destiny. Romans chapter eight is where he lays out, this is what you were created for. That's why people in their spirits, they can never get settled because they're, they're never, they never find why they were created. Therefore, something down here just never feels right. And they, they're just, as Paul said, I'm restless in my spirit. All right, Romans chapter eight is your destiny. Romans chapter eight, verse 29, one verse. Let's read these words and I want, you to, I want you to get this verse. For whom he foreknew. How many of you believe that? You believe that God knew you before time? All right, you can go to 1 Timothy and read these words. He purposed us before time began. Before he ever said, let there be light, he knew you. Whom he foreknew, the Bible says in verse 29, he also predestined. Have you ever heard of predestination? There it is. All right, what's the root word of predestination? Destiny. You have a destiny. It means the reason you were created. Before time began, he gave you a destiny, a purpose, a reason to be on this planet. That's called, you were predestined before time began. Well, what was your predestiny? Here it is. Whom he foreknew, he predestined to be what? Conformed to the image of his son, that Jesus might be what? The first among many like him. There's, that's, that's God's plan for your life right there. That's the master plan he has for your life is for you to become a disciple of Jesus or to exchange your life for the life of Christ and begin to live the life of Jesus and to take on the very life of Jesus. You were created to do this. How many of you understand that Jesus is the perfect human? Now he is God, he is man, but Jesus is exactly what God created people to look like. 
All of us have been affected by the fall. All of us are sinful by nature and fall, but we're all to be restored to where we become. Jesus is the prototype of humanity. He's perfect human. And he's predestined us to be brought back to the perfect human that we see in Jesus. All right, that's what disciple is. All righty, so you decide, <clears throat> all right, I'm a believer. I'm going to heaven when I die. I know for certain my sins are forgiven. I got the witness of the Holy Spirit right here, bearing witness that I'm a child of God. But I want to do more than be a Christian. I want to follow Jesus. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. What do I do? Uh, listen, I'm going to give you my little discipleship plan. Do not buy you a discipleship book. You got one. This is the best discipleship book ever written. Nothing even comes close to it. All right, it, this is so simple. Then you, you do this. What is a disciple? You begin to study his life to imitate it. You begin to study the life of Jesus to imitate it. Now, where would you, does anybody know where you'd look in the Bible to find the life of Jesus? Habakkuk? How about the book of Hezekiah? Okay, so you didn't catch that, did you? It's, it's not in there. There's no book of Hezekiah in there. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. The four gospels are the life of Jesus. It's the four gospels that lay out the life of Jesus step by step by step. But now listen to me. You can read them 20 times and never see Jesus without the Holy Spirit of God helping you. So you put your hand on your Bible and say, Holy Spirit, listen, here's the simplest, the greatest prayer you'll ever pray. Show me the real Jesus. Open the eyes of my heart. Show me the real Jesus. And as you read through those gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I've read them hundreds of times. I read those four gospels over and over. I get to the end of John, I go back and start in Matthew. And I just read over and over and just stare at the life of Jesus. But you want the help of the Spirit to do it. And as you begin to read those gospels, those four pictures of Jesus, all of a sudden his life begins to crystallize and you begin to see it. And it gets down in your heart. Notice this is a magic book. I, I know that's not... My friend, okay, it's a supernatural book. How's that? How's that? How's that? This is the living word of God. Hebrews 4, 12 says the word of God is alive. And the reason it's alive is as you read it, the Holy Spirit of God does something in here. There's no other book. Every other book touches you intellectually or emotionally, but this book will go down into your spirit. And as you read about Jesus, you can't read about him without being affected by it. So you begin to study. Now, here's what you do. Legal, legal pads are the answer to life. I go through legal pads all the time. Let me tell you what you do. You go through there and you write it out to walk it out. You write out the life of Jesus to walk out the life. And you say, tell me about Jesus. And you begin to look at the life of Jesus and you begin to write it out. I'm gonna take just a minute. And I, I do this all the time. Let me, let me talk to you about the man Jesus. Of course, now let me tell you something about Jesus. He who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus, one day in John 14, Thomas said, if you'll just show us God, we'll be happy. And Jesus said, You've been standing beside me for three years and didn't know it was me. You've been with me this long and didn't know me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Hebrews chapter one says Jesus is the perfect revelation of the Father. All right, let me talk to you about Jesus for a minute. This is the fun part for me. I, love, I thought Jesus was religious. I was taught wrong when I first got into this show called Christianity. I wasn't taught Jesus, I was taught dead religion. I should have known because it was so boring. Years, years ago, I'm just a 20-some-year-old man. I'm sitting in a deer stand. It is an autumn day. The leaves are painted beautiful. The, sun, the sky's on fire. And I just said to him, seem like somebody could do all this, could do a little better in your church. And so this is how I think. And then I thought, oh, you shouldn't have said that. And I heard from heaven, yes, you should have. 
Don't you think he who created the beauty of the outdoors, if his main thing is your heart, he could do better? Sure he can. All right, let me tell you about Jesus. Now, here's, here's why I studied life of Jesus. I want to do that. I want Christ to be formed in me. I want to be like, I want to follow Jesus. It doesn't mean to the 7-Eleven. It means to walk with him. It means to live his life. It means I, I'm willing to give up my life to have his life. Number one, always number one, Jesus loved like nobody else ever loved. And he loved the Father and he loved people. The number one mark of a disciple is you start loving the Father and you start loving people. All people, regardless, it doesn't matter. The Bible talks about our love growing for one another. Just, he just loves people. Jesus said this in John 15, 13. Greater love has no man than this. I, would, I will lay down my life for my friends. Well, I want to love like that. I want to love people so much that I just, now I'm not going to die on a cross for anybody because that's already happened. I don't need to, but I want to lay down my self life and my, it's all about me life to help people and to be a blood and to serve people. Number two, people don't realize this going to church. Jesus is a man of pure joy. Jesus just has constant, anytime you get around Jesus, there's going to be pure joy. That's why Psalm 16, 11 says in his presence is fullness of joy. Matter of fact, I quoted, I think I said it in praying. Jesus said in John 15, 13, he said, he said I've, I'm, I've written these things that my joy might be in you. Well, I'm all about some joy. In this depressed, sad, complaining culture we live in, we could use some lightening up. Can I get a witness, pizza boy? The last great prayer Jesus prayed, John 17, this is what he said. Father, I pray that my joy might be in them. So you don't think of God as being very joyful. He is pure joy. And uh, until you live in, in joy, you don't live in Jesus. He was just a man of great joy. He just celebrated constantly. Number three, Jesus is a man of great peace. I want to live in peace. I'll just give you one of my, my favorite pictures of Jesus. He's in this boat with these disciples. There's a terrible storm. They're going to die. He's asleep. I want to be like that. I want to be the point in my life where no matter what's going on around me, I just, just snore. I mean, you don't worry about anything. See, I want to exchange me being in control and worrying for having his peace. You got to understand that. Now you see, let me tell you what I'm giving up. My selfishness, my sadness, my anxiety for his love, his joy and his peace. Who would not trade up to this? See why it's treasure? See why you found something better than what you've got? But Jesus was absolutely a man of peace. Number four, Jesus was fearless. He never knew a moment's fear in his life. He was so bold, but he wasn't ugly. He was never arrogant, but there was a confidence in Jesus. Well, who wouldn't want that? Jesus was so fearless. I mean, he, he stepped right into the crucifixion without fear. His disciples are trying to get him out of it. He said, no, I don't fear anything. Could you imagine walking in life with no fear whatsoever? I mean, just a confidence well, that's the life of Jesus. That's, that's a disciple. Number five, I'm fixing to have fun here. Jesus was not religious at all. Matter of fact, Jesus was very anti-religion. I can't get one amen out of that. I have shown you. Y'all need to buy you a Bible is what you need to do. And not only that, listen to me carefully. Jesus was offensive to religious people on purpose. He chose to piss religious people. He just enjoyed that kind of stuff. You say, you, I can't believe you said that in church. Buy you a Bible. 
Why did Jesus walk straight into their synagogues on the Sabbath and start healing people knowing it would hack them off? Why did he do that? Why did he purposely do what they couldn't stand on purpose? Don't you know if you've seen Jesus, you're seeing the Father. Why did he do this stuff? He could have said to the guy with the crippled hand, hey dude, meet me at the drugstore tomorrow, I'll take care of you. No, he, he did it right in front of the people that had offended the most. One of my gifts is to offend religious people. I, I just enjoy that kind of stuff. I just love it. I mean, I'm telling you, listen to me. Religion will bore you to tears. Following Jesus is a blast. But Jesus was just so, all right, number six. Jesus is the most unpredictable man that ever lived. He was pure spontaneous. You never knew what he was going to do. What is the most... Oh, what's the word? I'm trying to be as nice as I can. I'll go and be like Jesus, tell the truth. <clears throat> what is the most predictable place on the planet? The local church. I can tell you everything they're going to do for the next 50 years. You never knew where Jesus was going. You know why? John 3, 6 said this. The wind, which is the spirit of God, the wind blows where he wishes. You can never tell where he's coming from and where he's going. So is everybody that's born of the spirit. They couldn't even find Jesus half the time. He didn't show up for meetings. He'd, he'd get up before daylight and leave. They out looking for him. Couldn't find him anywhere. He just, wherever the wind went, he went. We got to get out of our rut. I, I just love, I just love doing stuff. Just, just follow Jesus. Number seven, Jesus was a great defender of those who couldn't defend themselves. I love that about Jesus. One of my favorites, John chapter eight, there was a bunch of preachers coming down on a woman that had slept with somebody she wasn't supposed to, I reckon. He jumped in there between them and said, you want to talk about sins? Let's talk about your sins. I want to be the defender of the defendless. Matthew chapter 12, they were coming down on some boys that were trying to learn and they made some mistakes. Jesus jumped in and said, if you'd known me, you wouldn't have criticized these guys. He just loved to defend people. We all love the heroes who step in like that. Well, if you're going to follow Jesus, you say, it ain't none of my business. Well, you're not a follower of Jesus. You got to make it your business. When people talk ugly to waitresses, that becomes my business right there. Because they can't talk ugly to them. They get fired. I don't work there. There's, we need to become, to follow Jesus means to be like him. Number eight, Jesus was the friend of sinners. I've never understood why church people hang around each other so much. Go out and get you some sinful friends, Doc. And if you're one of them Baptists who's afraid that they'll rub off on you, you need a new Jesus. When did, when did darkness become more powerful than light? I thought the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. Friend, Jesus lived his life right in the middle of the worst people in town. He just plopped down at Hooters with them and ate with them. Look it up, Luke Child, look it up. Jesus was the friend of sinners. 1 Corinthians 1.21 says, God has chosen the foolish, the weak, the rejects, the castaways. And we want, we want to rub elbows with the uppity. I had a family that came to me and said, we'll never be back to this church again. And I said, I started to say, promise? But I said, I said, I said what did I do this time? Well, I made a statement. I said, I got gay friends I'd rather eat lunch with than most Baptist preachers. Oh, that went over about like a hot dog at a bar of it, so that didn't go over too good. <laughs> well, I do. My point was, I'm not a pro sin. My point was, they're so much nicer than most preachers I know. Yeah. Guess who Jesus would eat with? If you, listen, if you're going you to follow Jesus, you're going to hack preachers off and religious people. All right, let me get with something a little easier here. Number nine, Jesus was relentlessly forgiving. 
Matter of fact, that man was unoffendable. You could not offend him personally. Now he would step in for other people to protect them. You could not hurt that man. You could not offend him. Let me tell you what you do. <clears throat> Luke 23, 34, strip his clothes off him. Beat him beyond recognition, nail him to a cross. What'll come out of his mouth? Father, forgive them. They really don't know what they're doing. Man, I want to be like that. I want to be one of the people I get a paper more and I make up my mind. And everybody's forgiven already. I don't care what they do. I want, to be, I, want to be, I want to show the world this is what Jesus looks like. Besides, I, I love the freedom of forgiveness. You say, I ain't forgiving them. Well, don't sleep. Burn, dude. <laughs> Live your miserable life. Goes back to that joy thing. <laughs> Number 10, Jesus was brutally truthful. God. Matthew chapter 16, he turned to his best friend and said, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> I'd went over pretty like I'd went over about like a pregnant pole vaulter. How do you think I dealt with him? <laughs> but now listen, no, Jesus wasn't ugly. He just spoke the word. And he, he spoke it so freely. Now listen, let me show you what I love about Jesus. You wouldn't know this being around the church. Jesus was a constant edifier. Every time he opened his mouth, good news came out. He lived to build people up. That's why he said in John 7, verses 37 through 39, if any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Out of his heart will flow rivers of life-giving water. This he spoke of the Spirit. Jesus just, every word that came out of him just built people up. The Spirit just flowed out of him, life-giving words. Even the most cruel men in the society at that time were Roman soldiers. They crucify you while they're getting, they nail you to a cross and gamble for your clothes. We don't know anybody as cruel as they were. Well, they sent soldiers to get Jesus one day and they came back with their eyes stuck wide open. They said, where is he? He said, we ain't never nobody talk like that. Never has a man spoken like this. The words of Jesus were so powerful that even the soldiers turned away and walked away from him. Well, I want to, listen, we, our mouths were given to us to build people up. And Jesus constantly edified people. All right, let me throw in this, number 12, never complained. Never complain. You say, where's the scripture for that? That's the point. There ain't one. <laughs> Jesus did not complain about it. He just never complained. One of my personal goals I'm working on right now is to never complain again. And if I mess up and do it, I can get forgiveness. But my goal is to never complain about anything again as long as I live. You say, there's so much to complain about. Yeah, that's why it makes myself such a goal, Doc. <laughs> did you ever hear him do that? All right. Then we'll listen to you. This is what it means to become a disciple. You carefully study the life of Jesus and say, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do You study to imitate. That's a disciple. You don't memorize a bunch of stuff. You study to practice. Uh, number 13, he speaks the Father's word. Number 14, listen to this. This man was sinless because he was so pure in heart. Boy, I want that. I want all, how many of you know we got junk in us? You got a, we got the spirit of God inside of us. We got a spirit side to us, but we got a flesh side to us. There's, t there's a war inside every one of us. Listen to what Galatians 5 said. Our, our spirit wars against our flesh and our flesh wars against our spirit. I want to go to war with that flesh and I want it to be crucified. I want the ugly side of me, the anger, the selfishness, the criticism, the junk. I want that thing on the cross. I want to be so pure in motives and so pure in what I do. I'm not talking about religious where, you know, I, I wear a black coat all the time and I don't breathe. And I'm not talking about that crap. I'm talking about pure in heart. I, that, that's Jesus. That's what it means to follow Jesus. 
Uh, number 15, Jesus, would you say Jesus was free? Would you say he's the freest person that ever lived? He, was, he never worried. He never had any fear. He was never concerned with what people thought. Not that it, now he cared about people, but he didn't let their criticism twist him. He, he was never afraid to be rejected. He was never concerned. Of, uh, he, he, would ne he never feared failure. That's why he could take such risks. That man was completely free. Guess what his followers ought to be? They ought to be a free people. I love freedom. And we were born for it. Let me throw you in one more. I, I saw this title. I read this book the other day. This, this dude about taking men out in the wilderness, uh, John Eldridge. He wrote a book called Beautiful Outlaw. I thought that's one of the greatest names for Jesus. He's the most beautiful life that ever lived, but he's an absolute outlaw because the church couldn't stand him because he refused to follow their rules. And he told them in Mark 7 when they said, how come you don't follow the rules of the church? And he said, he, he was real careful when he answered people. He said, you hypocrites. <laughs> he said, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. He said, you have rejected the word of God to keep your religious traditions. I think we need to replace our dumb traditions with the word of God. Amen. But he, he was an outlaw to people. So be it. All right, now listen to me carefully. Jesus is also the humblest man that ever lived. How can he be bold and humble at the same time? It, 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 Jesus is. We, we need to be a people of humility. Now, let me help you with humility. Humility is not when you think you're a low down, sorry, no count sinner dog. That's not humility, that's stupidity. That's not humility at all. That's inverted pride. Let me ask you, if you're thinking that you're a low down dog, who is still the center of attention? You. Humility is not when you think less about yourself. Humility is when you think about yourself less. Humility is not when you think low of yourself. It's when you get you off your mind. True humility is them, not me. It's about people. You think about people instead of yourself. The great picture of humility is in John chapter 4, where Jesus got caught talking with a hoochie mama at the well there. <laughs> And it, it even embarrassed his followers. Nothing bothered that man. He didn't care what anybody thought. He was loving her, trying to help her. And uh, they, they're nervous, so they said, Master, we got the food, it's time to eat. You need to leave her and come over here and eat. What did he say to them? Lift up your eyes unto the fields. You know what he said? Could you get your mind off your food for five minutes and think about people? Humility is when you get your mind off yourself and you think about people. You want to be free? Get your mind off yourself. I deserve three amens right there. I just, real freedom is when you quit thinking about you and you lift up your eyes and you see the people you work with, you see the neighbors, you see your family. You just, it ain't about you no more. That's humility. And that man was, listen, the son of man didn't have a place to lay his head. He lived his life serving other people. And let me throw this in too. You ain't never had more fun than when you get you off your mind and start serving other people. Let me give you one more. You know what that means, don't you? He lived for one reason, to give. He only lived to give. The great verse that describes Jesus, Acts 10, 38, Jesus went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the day. He just lived his life. Who can I give something to? Did Jesus not have the greatest life ever? How'd he get it? By giving it away. Give, it will be given unto you. And this is the, this is the great life you just lived to give. Let me give you another. Jesus delighted in children. He loved children. 
He just, that's why he said, bring the little children to me. This is my kind of people. And you ever notice that, that children were drawn to Jesus? Children are drawn to a certain type of person. You know, when they run from you, something ain't right. <laughs> children should be drawn to the people of Jesus. That just, you know, I just, uh, my wife's a kindergarten teacher and I tell her all the time, you, you got the good bunch. You got it made. Number 20, one of the, <laughs> I said this and a preacher got so mad at me for saying this one time. I didn't write the Bible. The title that the ministers gave Jesus in, twice in the Bible, Matthew chapter 11, they called him a pig, a drunk, and a friend of sinners. Look it up, Matthew chapter 11. Well, they called him a glutton, a wine-bibber, and a friend of sinners. A glutton, somebody that eats too much. A wine-bibber, somebody who bibs wine. In other words, they drink too much wine. They don't drink wine, they drink too much. And a friend of sinners is me. Jesus was called a pig, a drunk. Well, I don't care about being a pig or being a drunk, but I do like the friend of sinners part. Oh, this, you just gotta, let me tell you something. You get to know God through this book, you're gonna find out he's not who I thought he was. He's better. Much better than I thought he was. All right, I gotta wrap up here. Uh, let me, let me say, lay this out here. Materialism. What was Jesus' mind and heart on things? Materialism. He is not against people being wealthy. This nonsense about you gotta be poor to be holy. You be poor and be holy, send it to me. I'll help you be poor and holy. <laughs> it's nonsense. The Southern, well, I'm not going to say who they are. The Southern Baptist Convention. At their annual convention last week, passed a resolution against prosperity preachers. They make me want to puke. They should have passed a resolution where their presidents can't molest women they're not married to anymore. That's what they ought to be dealing with right now. I, and I know there's abuse and everything. There's, Jesus is not against people being, he's not against you having money. He wants to free you from money having you. Yeah. I wish you was a multimillionaire. We need to build a school. If, you, you know, if your aunt Sadie dies and leaves it to you, I need to see you. <laughs> All right. But what was Jesus' heart on materialism? What did he say? It's not a, I don't care whether you're a millionaire or a hundredaire, it doesn't matter. What was his heart on materialism? Luke 12, 15. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. He just struck America out. Now, you can be a multimillionaire as long as it don't own you. But I want to be a person who, if I, if I'm, as my blood brother Paul says, I've learned how to abound and I've learned how to do with that. I'm just as happy whether I'm a millionaire or, or a dollar heir. Don't matter to me. We need to be free from it either way. And uh, we need to deal with money and materialism the same way Jesus did. That's what it means to follow him. All right, let me, let me now this is good. I may believe Jesus was a man of faith. I may believe he had faith in his father. I commit my life to you. But listen to me. Jesus had faith in people. Jesus has faith in you. I said, Brother Brian, you, now wait a minute, wait a minute. Would you choose Simon to be the chief apostle? And the first time you see him, tell him, you are a rock. Jesus always saw the best in people. He always called out the best in people. Uh, See, we, and in our natural thinking, the way we are, we dare people to do well and then we might give them a little credit. Jesus calls you when you are absolute mess and says, you are great. Jesus, all, Jesus believes in people. Because he said in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, love always sees the best in people and believes the best in people. He said, it sounds weird to me that God would have faith in people. Take it up with him. I mean, he can do what he wants to. Ain't he, ain't he the head man? I love, a, I love a father that has faith in his kids and calls out greatness in them. That's what the scriptures are all about. 
And I want to be like that. I, I don't want to look at people and say, you're an idiot. <laughs> I want to call out the greatness in people. And I want to tell them what I see in Jesus in them. That's just the spirit of God. Spirit of religion is looking for something to criticize you for. Mark chapter three, they watched him that they might criticize him. That's the spirit of religion. Jesus is always looking for something great to call out in people. He sees it in people. And if we're gonna follow him, we're gonna have to talk like that. A couple more, Jesus was a worshiper. He was the worshipingest man that ever lived. But he worshiped in spirit. Did you know, listen to this. A lot of people didn't catch this. The last supper, when you remember he told you, he said, one of you is gonna betray me and sent Judas out. Judas was the deceiver, sent him out. Many people missed this. And the Bible said, and they sang hymns before they went out to the Mount of Olives. Who you think was the worship leader that night? How'd you like to have been in a service where Jesus himself was leading the music? Jesus was a man of worship constantly. He just, he just broke into worship constantly. And let me throw in one more. Jesus is the most grateful man that ever lived. I'll just pick one, Mark eleven twenty five. 25. Father, I thank you. I thank you. Thank you, Father of heaven and earth. He was constantly thanking God. He just lived to worship and praise God and thank him for his goodness. All right, this is the life of Jesus. Now, let me tell you, let me tell you this. If I want to be a disciple, I study the life of Jesus and I'm fascinated with it. I find something better than what I've got. Amen. And I want that life, so I decide to follow him because Jesus is the prototype of life and I want to be like him. So I start practicing and I, I got to get the, I, that's why you got to write it out. You got to get, listen, Adrian Rogers taught me when I was 20 some years old, the dullest pencil is better than the sharpest mind. Get your pencil and write it out and then go back and review it over and over. And I think about this. He was a man of joy. He was a man of peace. He was a man of courage. He was a man that defended people that needed it. He was a man that called out greatness in people. And you begin to study the life of Jesus, get it down in your heart. And guess what happens? You just begin to do this stuff. And listen, when you, when you mess up, guess what? Get up. Don't beat yourself up. Get up. And this becomes so much fun to begin to live the life of Jesus. I want to ask you a question before we quit here. There are only two tests for a disciple in the Bible. Only twice in the Bible did Jesus say, this is what proves somebody's a disciple. All right, I'm fixing to be ugly again, but it'll be just for a minute. I've had this happen a few times since I've been a pastor. Some years ago, a man came to me and he said, he said, we're not discipling people in this church. People need to be discipled. And he said, I'll be glad to do it. And I thought to myself, you can't disciple people. You're not one yourself. He wasn't a disciple. He's just a crabby old man that hung around church. Oh yeah, I mean, he was real smart and he'd read a lot of books and he had degrees, but he was still a crab. Our goal is not a great big head. Our goal is the life of Jesus. And I said, no, you can't disciple. I started to say, what do you think I'm doing up there on Sundays and Wednesdays? There was to, to disciple, there's only two, mark, two places in the Bible where Jesus said, this is how you'll know they're a disciple. Let me ask you a question. Are you a disciple? Let's take the test. Turn me to John chapter 13. Only two places in the Bible where Jesus said, you want to know who my disciples are? Here's what you look for right here. John chapter 13. Now see, when we think disciple, we think people that have learned a lot. Well, if that's the case, my computer's the greatest disciple that ever lived because he's memorized the whole Bible. But he don't call out greatness in people and he don't forgive because I'll hit the wrong button and it's all over. <laughs> I didn't cuss till y'all brought computers back. All right, this, there are only two places where he says this is the disciple. John chapter 13 is one of them. Read this with me. 
John 13, 34, a new commandment. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Pause. How many believe we should love one another? Right, that's not hard. That was an easy question. Then he didn't say love one another. Read it again. Love one another the way I love as I have loved you. Now we got our love. He got his love. He said, I want you to love people like I do. What's these words? Verse 35. By this, this. All will know that you're my what? Disciples. Disciples when you can love like I love. What's the mark of a disciple? Somebody got a bunch of certificates from classes or somebody that loves people like Jesus loves people. What's the only way you can love like Jesus loves? Spirit of God comes into your life. And you, you say, Lord Jesus, I, I love like a human. I love those who love me. If I get mad at those who don't love me, they nail me at a cross, I'm going to be ugly with them. But the Spirit of God comes into you. I know people that are disciples two days after they get saved because they're so filled with the Holy Spirit because they love like Jesus loves. The mark of a disciple is somebody who the love of God has touched their lives. Turn back a few pages. I'll show you the other one in John chapter 8. One is to love like Jesus loves. And every one of you, you know why y'all can love like Jesus loves? Because he's living inside of you. Same Jesus that loved on the shores of Galilee is sitting in this room right now. Inside of you. And he can do this stuff. John chapter 8. I like, I like, you've heard this before. Verse 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews, verse 31 of John 8, who believed in him. All right, see, we've got believers. If you abide in my word, you're my what? Can you see in that verse you go from a believer to a disciple? Verse 32, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you. What's the two marks of a disciple? You love like Jesus loves and you're free. Freedom and compassion are the two marks of a disciple. Who would not want that? The greatest joy in life is to love people like Jesus loves people and to edify people and to build people up and to be free. That's why when people tell me, if you keep talking like you talk, you're going to get in trouble. And I think, bring me a half a baby aspirin so I can sleep at night. <laughs> I mean, to listen, freedom is what every heart longs for. Those are the two marks. So here, I'm saying this to show you this. It's not about just going through another course. It's about being changed by wanting to become like Jesus. It's called following Jesus. And the desire of life is to be a disciple. All right. I'm going to quit by telling you something about adventure. Anybody here has got a heart? Amen. Check real quick. Make sure. Amen. Now, I'm not talking about your, your blood pumping organ. Everybody has a heart. It's also called your spirit or your inner man in the Bible. Everybody's got a heart. Who created your heart? I right, listen to this verse. Uh, Psalm 8, Psalm 40, verse 8. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. So what does that verse tell me? You got a heart and your heart's got desires. Most people I know are not having their heart's desires met. They got a pretty good life, but their real heart's desires are not being met. God created your heart to desire three things. Three things. Number one, to be loved unconditionally. Everybody wants to be loved scandalously. Everybody wants to be adored by somebody. That's what marriage is for. That's what the church is for, so you can people can be loved. We had a graduation Sunday for Living Free and Mary's house had five graduates each. And this girl reported, I think she got out of jail. Maybe she didn't get out of jail, but she came to Mary's house and she said, I thought these people was crazy. She said, they just kept telling me they love me. They love me. I said, they, you don't even know me. But she said, you know what? After I was there for a while, I realized these people do love me. All right. Everybody longs to be loved and cherished. That's why Jesus cherished. Everybody wants to be adored by somebody. That, God put that in your heart. And he can do that. The second thing your heart longs for is beauty. 
We were created. That's why King David said, one thing I desire, Psalm 27, four, one thing I desire, and this is what I live for, to behold the beauty of the Lord. We all we want to see beautiful sights. We want to hear beautiful music. We long for beauty. I, me and my son were fishing last week with a guy in, in this little creek and the ponies were on the creek. Up and just, I just said, look here, doc. Look at this beauty. Tell me God don't exist. And you, we see the beauty of God in what he created. We see him in the way people treat each other sometimes. We see him in music. Everybody longs for beauty. That's why people are, have mental problems today. They can't find beauty. But what's the third thing every heart longs for? Adventure. We were created to have adventure. That's why America's so pathetically bored right now. We spent the last 50 years in this nation making everybody comfortable. That's why people love to read about and look at the pioneer days where it was dangerous and people were pushing out on the frontier and we wish we could do that. That's why I want to go to Alaska, the last great adventure. And we've taken the adventure out of this nation to where everything, everything's safe now. You can't, you can hurt yourself if you wanted to. You know, just sit on your butt, push your button, the window goes up. Drive through, hand your food through the window. There's no adventure left in this nation. Where's the last great adventure? Right there, following Jesus. You know what adventure is? Love like Jesus loved. Live to turn the other cheek like Jesus turned the other cheek. Live to forgive like he forgave. Live to call out the greatness in people and watch what happens to them. Live to talk to people like Jesus. You live the life of Jesus, you'll find the adventure your heart longs for. You know why? Because he wrote it in your heart. Romans, excuse me. I don't know why I'm in Romans tonight. Hebrews chapter eight, verse 10. This is the covenant I'll make. I'll write my will in their heart and put it in their minds. You begin to live like Jesus, you'll go, I was born for this. I was born for this. You just get up every morning saying, I'm gonna love people like Jesus loves today. And then you get up the next day and you say, I'm gonna build people up like Jesus does. And then you get up the next day and you say, I'm gonna piss religious people off day like Jesus did. Then you get up the next day and you say, you just, you, you just live to, to follow the man Jesus. And, and, the, and there's an event. Do you remember what Jesus said? He who seeks to live his life will lose it. But he who will lose his life for my sake and find my life, you will find it. It's not about going to church or being in church. It's about following the life of Jesus. You will never experience adventure until you do that. Your destiny is to disciple Jesus disciple after Jesus and become a disciple of Jesus and, and just enjoy it. Why would these men give up everything they had to follow this unlicensed carpenter who wanted to be a jackleg preacher? They had to have found something better than what they had. And they were so gripped by this man that they followed him. All right, let me, I got, I, well, I'm out of time, so you know, it don't matter now. You see this book right here? This is God. This is where he reveals himself. How in the world we got from this to what we call church today is a mystery to me. We got to get back to this book. I'm going to tell you how we did it and see if you don't agree with me. But dear ones, just because we've been wrong for a long time don't mean it's ever too late to turn around. Amen. Let me tell you what happened and see if you don't see this from scripture and see it in, in reality. Uh, I've heard this story a couple of times and a preacher told it, so as my wife would say, it's probably not true. There's this preacher, a little small country church, and uh, they finally got up enough money to build a little fellowship hall. Actually, it's a dining hall. Build a little fellowship hall where they go eat. And he was so excited because they got a little construction project going on. Well, he wanted to help. 
but he didn't know carpentry, but he wanted to be a part of it. So he begged the guy that was doing the job, let me do something, let me do something. Well, he was nervous to turn a preacher loose with saws. I mean, you ever had nothing, you know, all we ever had enough soft leather, we ain't ever done that. And he said, all right, I'll tell you what to do. He said, I'm gonna need a hundred two befores cut at eight feet tomorrow morning. And I don't know what they were cut at. They come cut eight feet. So I think they were jigging the preacher. Anyway, he said, but he said, okay, so I'll do it. Now maybe, other two, maybe they were eight foot and he wanted them cut down stud level. All right, okay, we'll say that. So he said, he was so excited, finally had something to do. So the contractor left and he got out there and he took the first uh, two before and he laid it out there and he measured it and he sawed it. And he's so excited. He's a carpenter now. Preacher, like Jesus, preacher carpenter. And he took the next one and he put it on the saw horse and he laid that one up and he drew a line and then he cut that one and then he put the next one, do it. And he did that for a hundred times. You know what happened, don't you? The last one was nine foot, four inches long. Because every time he didn't make the line disappear, he cut beside the line, which added an eighth of an inch every time he cut. See why preachers preach and carpenters carpenter? And he, he didn't know that he was that far off every time he cut, but he got done in this, the last one was that much longer than the first one. Over time, he got so far away from the original measurement. Somebody made a slight change somewhere along the way in over 2,000 years, we've gotten so far away from the life of Jesus to the point now I don't even look like him in churches anymore. But you know what? This book is still in effect and Jesus is still alive and he's still wonderful and his life is still available. And don't worry about if you don't fit in with the church anymore. People asked me not long, he said, are you trying to get fired? I said, I have already quit. How can you get fired after you quit? <laughs> I said, they're keeping me here to punish me. <laughs> Show me some mercy. Don't listen to me. This is the standard. Listen, I probably don't offend you here. Not even the Old Testament. Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is the revelation. Jesus is the man we're after. Jesus is the life we're looking for. You study the life of Jesus and imitate that life. Watch what happens to your life. And if you don't say this is the greatest life I ever had, I'll give you your money back. Maybe. All right, Lord Jesus, I'm so thankful we can talk. I love you. I adore you. I, the more I get to know you, the more fascinated I am. You have got to be God. Now, not just because I was told you were God, not just because I read it in this book, but nobody could have lived this life like this. Only God could live like you lived. A totally selfless life where you never did anything for yourself. You never, you never even, the only thing you owned through your entire life was one set of clothes. You trusted the Father for every bite of food. You were the most bold witness that ever lived, yet you were the most compassionate friend. One minute you'd be laughing, the next minute you'd be tearing some preacher up. You were so merciful. You were so free. But nobody has ever loved like you loved. And, and we admire the, the life that you are. We admire who you are. And I thank you and praise you that my destiny is to be conformed to the image of the Son of God. <laughs> what a call. It wasn't, I wasn't called to be a preacher. Or Jesus, I wasn't called to go to church and try to stay awake. I was called to become like Jesus. And everybody that's got that call on their lives to be a disciple of Jesus. I, I love the greatest words ever spoken. Follow me. All right, Lord Jesus, I pray for those in here tonight that are not even believers yet. They've never put their trust in you. I pray that tonight they say, anybody that lives like that, that's God. He can save me.
And I trust you that tonight people will put their eternal life in you, their hope in you, their faith in you. Just, dear Jesus. Lord Jesus, I remember how one of my greatest preacher friends got saved. He just hollered Jesus till it hit him. Thank you that when we call on the name of the Lord, we're saved. But Lord Jesus, I pray for the believers in here tonight that they will decide, I'm gonna step it up to first class and be a disciple. I wanna, I wanna live this man's life. I wanna love like he loved. I want the peace he had. I wanna see people the way he saw people. I want the freedom, Jesus. I pray they step up to discipleship level and, and study your life and apply that life in every moment of their life. Say, now, is this how he does it? Is this how he does it? Is this what he did? Is this what I'm supposed to do? Oh, Jesus, we, we would lose the boredom real fast if we began to follow Jesus. I want to give you the praise and glory and honor. One day we'll see you face to face. That will be the greatest day of my life to get to see you finally. I just, sometimes I just, I just think, why, is he, why are you so good to us? Thank you for your kindness. Pray for every person in this room. Whatever happens to them in life, I pray they become disciples of Jesus. Trust you for that. Let Jesus be glorified in the earth. And Lord Jesus, is that old, old country song we used to sing, let others see Jesus in me. Well, that's a tall order, but you can do it. By your spirit, I trust you for that. Thank you for this day and your goodness. Strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.